there, and welcome to episode six, season two of Rainbow Bridge Connection. My name is Kayla, and um, I'm recording this one solo. I'm well, I'm recording the beginning solo. Nikki will be on this episode, but I um, I messed up, so <laughs> I had to record the beginning by myself because um, when I put the episode together, I realized I had said episode five originally when we recorded, but this is going to be episode six. I got like the episodes swapped. So, um, I'm recording this by myself, but it kind of gives me an opportunity to kind of talk to you guys, uh, a little bit than we normally do. Um, I, we usually try to get right into the episode cause we know that like, uh, well, a lot of people that listen podcasts out, it's like one of their biggest complaints with podcasts is when the people have an interview or they have a story and then they talk too much at the beginning and then you're just like get to the interview dude just shut up but I wanted to ask you guys how you guys were doing because whoa the world is heavy right now and and there goes my like I don't want to say it's a defense mechanism but like my awkwardness I guess is the good way to put it I'm one of those people where like, I, if you know me in person, you know that I'm extremely um, careful with other people's feelings and all that stuff. And when we first started doing this podcast, I was like, oh, gosh, I hope people don't think I'm, like, laughing at everything because I'm a mean person. But I laugh because it's, like, a nervous thing. I, I get, like, when um, when I talk about my feelings or I talk about feelings with people, I always tr- tend to, like, laugh. Because it makes me uncomfortable and I'm trying to get over that. Uh, I can still tell that I'm doing it because I just did and I apologize. But I am trying to get better about it. Um, so I'm not so like inappropriate. I'm like uh, the, the type of person that laughs at a funeral. And it's not like I'm not laughing because I think it's funny or I think it's I'm laughing because I'm just so uncomfortable in the situation that that's like the only thing I can do. So I apologize. I really hope you guys don't take me as like, what's wrong with her? Like she's asking us how we're doing and then she laughs. But I really do want to see how you guys are doing because everything's really heavy right now in the world. And I've learned like with grief, it's kind of funky where you'll just be, you know, you'll have lows and you'll have highs and it's just kind of going along, you know, like whoosh and then you're better and then whoosh. But if there's like a major world event, or something very sad happening and you may not even be you could be tied to it but you may not even have anything to do with it like for instance you know when the fires right before COVID hit and there's fires in Australia or there was a hurricane here that hit during COVID in Texas and and it's like we were being bombarded with these videos and these pictures of these horrible you know with like koalas having burnt hair and then with the hurricane You know, I'm not going to go into detail to be graphic, but just people leaving their animals behind. And we were seeing these horrible things and it was just making it so heavy. And I noticed that my grief was like high, 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 high. I was like a high alert for my anxiety, high alert for depression. And then also my grief was bad and it was like taking me 10 steps back. So, you know, all this work that I'd be doing to feel better to get better you know trying to rationalize situations and then those things would happen and I would be like oh my 
God, why did I do that? Why did I say that? I, I feel like I failed her, you know, all this stuff. And I feel like that's how it's been recently where it's, you know, I take a bunch of steps forward. Like, like I mentioned before, um, or maybe I haven't, I, I do seek a counselor. Um, I have been for, for a number of years for my anxiety. And then when the whole thing happened in July where I was having a really hard time, I uh, went and sought out a, a counselor that, you know, she does specific work with um, uh, anxiety, depression, PTSD, those kind of things. And she's been extremely helpful and we've been trying really hard to work through things. And I, I have been doing a very good job. But the one thing I feel like there's a hump that I just can't, I have a hard time getting over with is, um, and I, I don't want to say getting over it because that's like a, like you're never going to get over grief, you know. So I, I don't want to say get over, but maybe more comfortable is a better word. I try really hard to get more comfortable with the fact that, you know, with the grief and with the situation. And then like these things will trigger it. And they're not even in my control, you know. It's like world things happening across continents. And I feel so helpless and lost and then my grief starts flaring up and next thing you know I'm like sitting on the couch bawling my eyes out because I'm realizing the four that I have right now are aging and it's like a twofold situation where there's a part of me that mourns what could have been with Athena you know I mourn the like she never got to this stage. Every milestone with them, I would be like, I never got to see her that way. I never got to see her. And, you know, we had the we had three dogs when me and my husband got married. And, you know, I didn't feel right leaving one of them behind and the venue could, would only allow for like one dog. Plus, I'm going to be honest with you, ours don't really behave to be able to do it. But you, you always see videos and pictures of people where they have their ring bear be their dog and Athena would have been that dog she would have walked that ring down that aisle like the best girl and it was almost like a morning thing of like oh she could have been here and she could have she could have been a part of it and we could have had pictures of her and then there's the the other side of it where I look at the four of them and I remember oof, I remember how hard it was with her and I think of the fact that that's gonna happen four more times to me and it's really really hard and I think about it all the time and especially when things in the world are just icky so I want to check in with you guys uh, me and Nikki are thinking about you we appreciate you guys listening we started this to carve out a community for people that are like-minded, that understand us. And we feel like we've really succeeded in that because we enjoy your guys' feedback. We enjoy our guests. We've become friends with some of our guests. This has been a beautiful journey. But everything is kind of rough right now. So if you guys need anything reach out. We're on our social medias. You know, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. 
uh, Rainbow Bridge Connection podcast. I think it's RBC podcast or yeah RBC podcast but you'll you'll if you look up Rainbow Bridge Connection I'm sure it'd show up and then also we have like the same logo for everything and then we also have our email addresses as well Rainbow Bridge Connection 21 at gmail and then I also started another one because I didn't want anybody to take it either Rainbow Bridge Connection podcast at gmail.com and then we also have our website where you can click the contact us button and it'll go straight to a message to us so if you guys like I said every time you guys have feedback you guys want maybe um, a question answered on the show we were talking about it and we might do a either Facebook or Instagram Q&A with you guys um, I'm really really excited to do it I think it would be really fun to do a Q&A with you guys and you guys can ask us questions um, or anything or just reach out to us if you have a suggestion for an episode or you'd like to learn more about a specific you know topic or even if you just want to say things are heavy right now like we're here and so we I just wanted to throw that out there before we get into the episode we're thinking about you we collectively sorry you can hear one of my dogs in the background he's there the four of them are hanging out with me right now because it is a very snowy night and it's chilly so they're all hanging out with me and he was sneezing and shaking in the background so I apologize but we appreciate you and we're gonna get into the episode now so we are interviewing another amazing awesome guest we're gonna make that our thing from now on so anytime we say amazing or awesome it's because all of our guests are handpicked and they are amazing and they are awesome and we're so grateful for them to come on the show they you know take time out of their days to come on the show and we've you know, loved every single one of them. So um, today we have Crystal. And Crystal is a influencer on social media. Can you guess where I found her? <laughs> I know every episode I'm like, can you guess where I found her? But I will say there's a lot of really good resources on, you know, you got to be careful, like, because sometimes people just post crap on there that's just like crazy and you're like, Okay, that's not true. But a lot of times, especially in the realm of grief, even like human grief, I found some really good resources on there. So back to our, I've said this twice, back to our guest, Crystal. I'm so excited to have her here. She is an influencer on TikTok and she also has an Instagram as well. Her TikTok is Meatloaf and Friends. She's a multifaceted human being, a multifaceted amazing person. She not only is a rescuer, she is a phospice parent, she is a vet tech, and a trainer. And she is amazing at all of it. So I really, really hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we appreciate you, and reach out if you need anything. Thanks, guys. Hi, Crystal. How are you? Good, good. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're very busy. So you're a, a rescuer in Texas. Yes. What do you rescue? Uh, dogs, all kinds of dogs. I actually specifically work with a pit bull rescue right now, but we also do all breeds because it's bad in the South. So when we go to the little tiny municipal shelters, um, 
our facility is designed for pit bulls. So our runs are huge and you can fit two or three chihuahuas that get along in the same run designed for a pit bull. So you will often come to the pit bull rescue and find chihuahuas. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Do you want to tell us what rescue you're with or would you rather not? No, it's fine. It's Saving Grace Pit Bull Rescue based out of Lubbock, Texas. Okay. Amazing, amazing organization. Super okay, proud wonderful. So how did you get into rescue? How long have you been doing it? Um, in Texas, as long as I've been here, which is running up on 12 years, wow. I just kind of saw the need. There's a lot of things out on Facebook. Uh, it's, it's rough. Rescue is rough in Texas. The, the issues down here are bad. And so I saw a lot of it and I just reached out to the rescue, a different one and said, what can I do? Like I'll foster a dog. I'll work an event. I'll do whatever you need me to do. And that just snowballed into what it is. So did you kind of just start out on your own and then you decided to associate yourself with a rescue or did somebody kind of bring you in as a foster first? How did that work? No, it, I mean, in a way on my own, I, you know, I had always taken in dogs for people that, you know, were in bad situations and stuff and would find them good homes and things, but to get involved with the actual organization, I literally just saw a Facebook post, someone I was somehow interconnected with on Facebook had shared it. And I thought, well, I can help them with this. So I messaged them and said, I will help you with this. And it was, that was it. And then the next opportunity and the next opportunity and 12 years later, here I go. Wow. Okay. That's wonderful. So 12 years, that's incredible. I'm sure you've learned a lot. The learning curve is steep in rescue. Very. And every time you think you're at the top of your game and you've seen it all, something else comes through and you're like, what, what is this? Yeah. What are we doing? Every new thing. Every new dog is an adventure. It sure is. So I spent quite a bit of time, probably more time than I'd like to admit, watching your TikToks last night. Now it's not stalking because, you know, A, I'm not in love with you yet. B, um, also, you know, I was doing research for the That's podcast. Right. That's research, right? But you have a lot of content, but something that I found really interesting was your training techniques. You are a very efficient, successful trainer. Tell us about um, that. I wouldn't say, <laughs> I wouldn't say oh, that about no, myself, you are. but maybe that's what makes me a more, um, easier to follow kind of trainer. So I use force-free methods absolutely all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a debate that I don't usually get into. What did you call it? Force-free? Force-free. Yeah. It has a lot of names, positive positive reinforcement, force-free training. Um, You could also call it something called Lima, which is, um, you know, like the kindest way possible is essentially what all of those mean. Excellent. I like that. That's what, you know, I think is is better, especially when you're dealing with damaged animals, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they have to learn what the expectations are. Yeah. And it's also a steep learning curve for them. It's not a debate I like to get into about different training methods because it is a hardcore debate, especially Mm -hmm. on TikTok. Sure. I just do my thing and do with the best of my knowledge. And I have a lot of really awesome people that help me learn along the way. 
and a lot of them from TikTok. And I just put it out there and hope that other people can see that you can make these big changes in a kind way that considers the dog's emotions. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yes, because that's something that I think is still missing from a large component of society, which is people don't recognize dogs or even animals as sentient beings. Mm -hmm. They're thinking, feeling, processing emotional creatures, you know, and they're drawing from their past experiences, trying to figure out what the future holds, if the people they're with can be trusted, especially in a new home. Yeah. Okay. So, um, how many, how many fosters do you typically have at any given time? Uh, two to three, it depends, which seems like not very many for the total, but. (laughs) Oh no, that's a lot. (laughs) It is. Two to three is a lot, especially the work you're doing with them. Uh, well, I usually only have one very like hardcore behavior type case. And then one will be a much easier dog, might have some minor issues we need to work through, but highly, highly adoptable. And then um, I get the three and four is small ones. Small ones don't take up much space. (laughs) I know. I know. Right. I would say we can stuff a a few small ones here if needed. Yeah. Um, Okay. So who's Meatloaf? Meatloaf was a dog that I had had years ago. Meatloaf has passed away. I hate when I have to tell people that because everybody's like, aww. But uh, he was just this awesome little dog, the ugliest little thing you ever saw. And that's why his name is Meatloaf. I was on a trend at the time of naming posters after musicians. And saw him and I thought, what is a really not attractive musician? I'm sorry, Meatloaf the musician, but you are it. Yep. <laughs> his name. Yep. R.I.P. Meatloaf. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then... Um, like how many dogs do you think you've fostered? Have you kept track? I kept track up to about 150 and then I Whoa. stopped counting. So That's... It's, it's probably over 200 at this point. Very likely over 200. How many of those have you kept? I have to count. Nine. Wow. Nine or 10, maybe more. Yeah. All right. What was the decision process when you were considering keeping them long-term forever? That's, that's actually come up a little bit lately. So the one thing that they all have to be able to do in order to stay is they have to be able to hang with a big group. They have to be like what I would call a dog park dog. They -hmm. have to be cool with everybody in the household. They have to be cool with other dogs coming in and out. Right. And they can have any, literally any other issue on the earth, but as long as they're cool with the big group, they can stay. Oh, okay. All right. Do you do hospice care as well? Mm. I do. Yeah. I have two dogs right now that are hospice. They are not hospice fosters just because I took them over. They're not run through the rescue. So they're added to like the personal dog count, but yeah, I have two right now. Okay. What are their, what are their issues? Rose has, um, cancer, widespread cancer. We didn't, we didn't really find out what kind, because when you're doing diagnostics for cancer, um, one of the first things you can do is blood work, which checks for like cancer markers and things. And then like a chest X-ray to see Mm -hmm. if the cancer has metastasized and it has, and she has all of them. And her uh, issue is like bumps and lesions and things, not necessarily lesions, but varying degrees of bumps and lumps all over her body. And it could be several different kinds of cancer, but 
finding out what it is doesn't change how we treat it. So mm-hmm. she has widespread cancer. And then the other one is a tiny little chihuahua. She just has a whole host of issues and she's very old. Mm. How old do you think she is? 15 or so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I did notice uh, going through your TikToks that you had one specifically about uh, hospice and fostering for hospice and how we're, I mean, it's rewarding. It's sad. Yes, but it's rewarding. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the benefits that you see? Cause a lot of people are already very hesitant about fostering in general. And then you throw in that they might, you know, they're probably not going to make it. And it's even more like the pool is a lot smaller of people that are willing to kind of go through that. Yeah. I mean, I will say it's not for the faint of heart. It, it sucks. <laughs> Sometimes mm-hmm. it sucks at the end and it's hard at the end. It's just like any dog with old age, but to me, I find it's really important to give them the last best time. And oh. so that's what makes it worth it a lot. I mean, most of them, if they're in rescue, they've had a rough go of it for any amount of time. It might have been just at the end. It might've been their whole life. And so if they have enough left in them to give them the last best time that they can have, I just feel like it's really important to give that gift to them. And so any hesitancy that I have or any pain that I would feel, them having that best time makes it worth it to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an opportunity cost, right? And you have to make sacrifices as a human um, in order to give them the best ending to their own life. It's such important work. So important. And one of the things like a benefit to it that I often tell people is it's often very short term. I mean, short term by definition. So if you're in a position where you can't, you know, get a dog long term, or you're only going to live in this place for a year or something, but you want to do something, hospice is a great option for that because it is by its definition, short term and temporary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you handle um, the portion of them crossing over? Do you do that in your home? Do you take them in to a vet? Does a vet visit you? Well, I actually work at a vet hospital. That's do nine. you? Mm-hmm. I'm a vet tech full-time. So they go to work with me and they become very familiar with the, with the office and everything. And so we kind of have a routine that they go into work with me and, um, it's, it's a pleasant experience because my whole, I work at a very small clinic. And so the whole team is on board with the hospice fostering and adopting. So we all know that it's very important work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about how you handle the grief, not only the anticipatory grief that you feel as you're going through hospice and preparing for their end of life? but then like how you process that as a rescuer? Um, I don't really know that there's any one, there's definitely no one right way to grieve. Everybody has their own way. Um, I tend to focus on how they were before, you know, and, and then what, I mean, it's hard to explain. It's very hard to explain mm-hmm. how those grief you just kind of do it and then you go on because there's in rescue, there's always another one waiting. Yeah. 
And that's, you know, that's part of the push always when you have fosters to get them adopted and not keep them because you cannot keep them all because if you do, you can't foster anymore. Correct. It's kind of that plays into the grief process for hospice fosters too. And you, you, I give myself time to grieve, but then that is a space that is because, um, you know, hospice dogs do take up more of your time. They need more medical care and time. Mm-hmm. So okay. With that one now gone, I have more space for another one. And there is always a need. So that kind of helps keep you moving forward. Or at least it keeps me moving forward. Mm-hmm. That another one will be there soon. Yes. So there's not well on it. We're, we got to go to the next one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're right. There is always another one waiting in line that needs help and assistance. Okay, so earlier you talked about there's a lot of issues in Texas and in the South. Can you highlight some of the main issues that you see within rescue? Um, I mean, the biggest issue is just, it's a complex problem, but the biggest overreaching issue is that there's just too many dogs. Yeah. There are just too many. There are too many dogs and not enough homes for those dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. And so would you say that that's attached specifically then to a lack of spaying and neutering? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, that's the only way new dogs are made. And so I think a big focus needs to be on spay and neuter education and responsible dog ownership if you keep intact animals and what a reputable breeder looks like. That's one of my big platforms is we don't mm-hmm. go to backyard breeders. You know, we say adopt or shop responsibly. And that means going to a reputable breeder if that's what you want to do. And if you're not gonna put in the time and effort for a reputable breeder, then go to a rescue because what's in between those two is what causes the overpopulation issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there any spay and neuter initiatives in your area? Do you do any kind of outreach or how do you try to reach people? Okay. Yeah, we absolutely do. Saving Grace, the rescue that I work with currently, they do something called Pit Stop every year in October around National uh, Pit Bull Awareness Day. And we have spayed and neutered for free over a thousand dogs in the last 10 years. Wow. That's phenomenal. Yeah, we get, we get grants and we get private donations. We do free microchips. We do free vaccinations. We do all kinds of education stuff in the run up to it and at the event itself. And we do free spay neuter vouchers. Wow. That's cool. Okay. So what does national pit bull day mean to you? And what day is that? It, I, you know, I don't know. I have to, be I think honest. it's in October. It, it is definitely in October that I can October 13th or something. The day changes every year, I think, because it's on a Saturday, but it's also the whole month. Anyway. Um, October means- 29th. Ah, hey, there you go. I think it's really just about awareness, like what the breed is, right? What the breed is, what you can expect from the breed, kind of dispelling all of the myths that are Mm -hmm. out there about them there are some positive myths that we need to to get rid of as well like the nanny dog myth uh, Mm -hmm. that needs to go because it sets the dogs up to be in bad situations where bad things can happen but also all the negative myths you know and then what owning a pit bull and being a responsible pit owner looks like yes that's wonderful 
Okay. Um, so initially you came across Kayla's radar because of this particular TikTok series that you have. Kayla, can you tell us about that? And then we can get Crystal to expound. Yeah. Um, so what caught my eye, I, I had actually been watching you for a little bit, but what really caught my eye was your TikTok specifically in regards to um, a dog on I I'm trying to like not give like super specific <laughs> specifics because I don't want to like make anybody uncomfortable you know god um but uh there is a chihuahua that is on tiktok that um has quite a few followers that I would say is very reactive to situations and is being put in those situations to react for the tiktok so like a driver for humor, like it's a, I, 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 think funny. So. I mean, Crystal, what, what is your, I think it is definitely like a clout reasoning on why the TikToks are being made of the aggressiveness of the dog. I, I that's what I believe, but I'm not quite sure Crystal, like where you're at with it, but that's what definitely had caught my eye. Yeah. Yeah. I think the popularity of that is just purely driven by look at this tiny animal that we can aggravate for fun Mm -hmm. that's it okay so then what happened you saw this and what did you decide to do actually another uh, a friend of mine a real life friend of mine uh abby she is the positive chihuahuas on tiktok Mm -hmm. oh okay you have to check her out she's huge 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 small dog advocate and so the the chihuahua for clout was definitely on my radar but abby was doing an amazing job reaching out to that girl and then she made several like call out videos about her and it was never focused on like bullying right the girl that other chihuahua it was just educating other people that this is not right and they're not like this naturally and you can help them when they have these issues mm-hmm. and so i kind of just let Abby take care of it because she was doing an amazing job and then out of the blue that girl blocked Abby and I literally said to her well if you'll just hand me that torch I'll take it from here because I felt like the message was so important that it needed to keep going right so I reached out to her on Instagram and TikTok and started a dialogue and let people know posted about it on TikTok like I'm talking to her she's checking this out I rounded up other trainers, world-class trainers that people would pay thousands of dollars to work with mm-hmm. to be on the team to help this dog. And I mean, I even offered to do a board and train with the dog at my house for a month for free. I mean, a lot, a lot of really, really amazing offers. And it was going well, I thought for a while and she was mulling it over and we had a dialogue going and then just, she started posting. She had this trend of posting more positive videos with the dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they, didn't, they didn't get the views. Ah. They didn't get the views and she's making quite a bit of money aggravating this dog for clout. So she made the choice to continue to aggravate the dog for clout because it makes her that much money. And she just totally ghosted me. And that's when I like went on the offensive. Like, Mm -hmm. I know what you're doing now. You have proved it to me and everyone that you are aggravating this dog for clout to make money and you're gross. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I saw the earlier videos of you, like I've reached out to her. We're in, you know, communication. This is trending to be a good thing, you know? And then, you, you know, I, I, when I checked, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. I went, I checked some of the videos and actually some of her stuff had come across previously on my stuff. And I was like, why are we watching this? <laughs> like, I never got it, but also, how I long, always, yeah. How did this wind up on my for you page? Totally. And that happens a lot where there's stuff that sure. comes through where I'm like, Oh no, no. Like, why am I watching this? No. Um, and mm. you know, so then I, when I checked out her stuff, when you were talking about it being a positive, you know, communication between each other. And I realized like, well, yeah, man, I, you know, even as someone who works with rescues, who has experience with that kind of stuff, it never really hit me like, dang, this is not okay. Like, you know, at first I was like, damn, that was a pissed off chihuahua. Like what's going on with that? But it never really sunk in until I saw your other videos where I was like, oh shit. Yeah, that's not okay. That's not, um, a good direction to go with an animal that already is like obviously in defense and and is having a hard time and so when I saw your other TikToks of like explaining what had happened I was like yeah we got to have her on the show because you're the first creator honestly that I have seen that is advocating for other animals through TikTok like that in that in that realm because I haven't, I mean, I didn't see, uh, and your friend, like you said, your friend had reached out and there was all, and unfortunately I hadn't seen that, but when your page came across and I was seeing that you were actively trying and it wasn't just a lot of the TikTok drama that happens where it's just talking shit and not action or just talking bad about the person you were making an action because you saw something was definitely wrong with the situation and you were concerned about the dog. And it was like a breath of fresh air that it was like, oh, wow, she's really, we're trying to make a change here. This isn't about the clout. This isn't about the attention, the followers. It's not about that. It's about helping the, the animal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and I kind of hold a, a, some people would say controversial take on that. And the call out culture is sometimes call outs are warranted. And I have absolutely no problem calling out something that I see. I will always try to reach out to the creator of the video first, because there's a lot of it on TikTok and Mm -hmm. say, you know, start a dialogue. But if they brush me off, you're getting a call out Yeah. because I want to make sure everybody knows that this is not okay. And there are better ways. And there's no reason that this animal is being treated this way. Right. And I do it across the board too, not just owners. I caught a groomer uh, mistreating a dog call out video (laughs) like this is not okay and people need to know people with dogs need to know like your animal doesn't have to go through this if the groomer says it's okay they're wrong wow yeah and I've done the same thing to other texts uh when they post some of the things they do behind closed doors and say you know this is why people have trouble trusting us and why curbside was such an issue because they're afraid something like this will happen. And it did. And you put it on the internet. You think it's okay enough that you put it on the internet and that is not okay. Mm-hmm. What was the groomer situation? Uh, she was, it was rough. It was a, a doodle, I think. And it had matted hair in its ears. In my opinion, the dog should have been sedated at a vet clinic to take care of like severe matting in its ears. And she 
she was being really, really, really rough with him. And the dog was like thrashing and screaming. Oh, were they God. plucking the hair out of the ears? Yeah, she was plucking. Oh, I can't stand that. Out of his ears, fully awake, using his ear as a handle at one point, And he was just like thrashing and screaming. Yeah. And the, the owner didn't have any idea that that was happening. Correct. That was all done like behind closed doors. But then that human that was a groomer decided to post that on TikTok almost as like, was it educational? Like, this isn't a big deal. This is what we do. Uh, no, actually, at first she put it out there and said, um, like she was shaming, owner shaming, which is another soapbox I can climb up on. We don't mm -hmm. owner shame here. We educate. Uh, so she was just owner shaming and kind of giving herself props for being able to handle this dog that nobody else could handle. Well, you're not handling it correctly though. You're just hurting it. Yeah. Yeah. And in defense of it, she said, oh no, I made them to educate owners that if you don't groom them, then this can happen. Well, they know that. Yeah. And this wasn't educational. Yeah. Oh, well, definitely. Sorry, oh, go ahead. No, go I was going to say definitely on the owner shaming thing. I don't know how I ended up on that part of that side of TikTok because I all of a sudden had all these videos of owner, owner shaming where they're vet techs taking videos of people getting their dog's teeth cleaned mm -hmm. and them having plaque and like, oh, look at this. This is horrible. And then all the, com I mean, you read the comments and literally all the comments are like, those people don't need to own dogs. They're horrible people, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes there's health issues that cause some of these things that they're taking on TikTok. And I would be mortified if my dog was on TikTok getting, you know, sedated and they're taking these videos and posting them and all these people saying I should die and stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's just. Yeah, that is, it's so awful. And that is, it's just another soapbox that I could get on because at the end of the day, you don't know why that person didn't get their dog's teeth cleaned until they were so bad. Mm -hmm. But the most important part is they are there now. You are doing it now. They yeah. are doing their best and that dog is right now getting treated for it. So shaming doesn't do any good except to push them further away. Yep. Sounds like that groomer had a really biased perspective. You know, thinking that- It, just, it bothers me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay, so let's go back to the chihuahua, the aggressive okay. chihuahua that's being basically triggered over and over. So you reached out to that human and you tried to, create this dialogue you said you got trainers involved that were really high caliber and then you even offered to do a board and train situation in your own home how did that work out was that person responsive uh she that was one of the things that we discussed I think she knew I mean I will be honest and I was honest before uh, when I made the videos that the reason I wanted to do the board and train was because I knew that I could show that that dog would not be so bad if you were not poking at her all the time. Mm -hmm. You weren't intentionally antagonizing that dog. She is not going to be that way. And the only way to do that is to control the narrative, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Because if, you know, if she has the dog, then she can say, well, but I didn't. I mean, she can just make up stories and control the narrative. Mm -hmm. 
and then the narrative that chihuahuas are inherently evil bad bitey dogs continues Mm -hmm. so a big part of it and I said so in the videos was being able to control the narrative I wanted to get her here and show that yeah she has some issues but they are exacerbated by the fact that you keep poking at her for no reason and if you Mm -hmm. don't do that she's not going to be as bad so then did she entertain that idea that you could do a board and train or no she can meet with a trainer No? no not even a little bit no she said right off the bat that she wouldn't sin because um she said it was because they couldn't be apart which is maybe true and i understand and so i switched gears immediately to okay how about we work with these people online then but i do think a big part of that was she knew she knew that as soon as the dog was with somebody else her whole backstory was going to crumble because she she claims all the time that that chihuahua is a rescue And then she has mentioned many times, actually, that she's had her since she was young, like a year-ish old. And so she's had her for over 10 years. And this has been this dog's life. Right. Hmm. Okay. So then, and I hate to sound naive, but I, I need a little bit more context about how do people actually make money off of something like that? Because you talked about how the videos where she's triggering the dog create money and then she shifted gears, did a different series and she wasn't. TikTok is strange in that it's different from a lot of other social media platforms in that you don't, you generate income based on engagement, which that's pretty across the board. But the majority, the people that are making money, money, like it's their full-time creator job money on TikTok come from brand deals. Okay. If you don't have high engagement, you're not going to get the brand deals. And so anything that you do that would tank your engagement means you're not getting the brand deals and you're not getting paid. What is a brand deal? It's, It's essentially a brand reaches out and says like, if you do a product placement, if you do a paid review, if you, you know, any of these things, if you advertise this product for us on your social media page, where you get all these people looking at it, we will pay you X amount of dollars. Okay. So there's companies reaching out to her to do brand deals based off the fact that she's aggravating her companion animal. Correct. And I also did a call call out video for every single company that I saw on her account that was doing that. That's impressive. Wow. And did any of them reach out to you? No. (laughs) How many followers do you have on TikTok? Uh, 190 something, I think. Thousand. That is so phenomenal and impressive. (laughs) This. How long have you been on TikTok? over a year oh oh only just a year yeah so in a year, year you've captured the attention of over one hundred and ninety thousand people yeah I guess I didn't mean to do it <laughs> <laughs> have there been any like um added pressures to your life because of the high visibility that you have on social media not necessarily I I felt the pressure to create more content which right now is kind of waning <laughs> Okay. I've been taking a break. Um, but yeah, I posted at least a video, at least one video every single day for over a year. Dang. And that pressure to pump out quality content mm-hmm. uh, was there for sure. But as far as like having 
eyes on my life, no, I willingly share it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what do you consider or how do you define quality content? That's a good question because I'm not good at it. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I love when the humility comes in with people and you're just so like all these guests that have these like high visibility and like tons of followers and you're like, no, it's no, it's not a big deal. It, but it is. Yeah. I mean, I was pumped when I got six people to like my last TikTok. Totally. <laughs> totally. Not over 190,000 people reacting to who I am and what I bring to this world, you know, it's phenomenal. Well, and the way TikTok is structured, that 190,000 number is a little bit false. I don't have that much engagement. There's not that many people seeing every single TikTok that I make. Um, I had several go like viral and that's where a lot of that came from. But <laughs> the little, the little one is, is barking in the background. Um, and now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> Quality content and how you create oh, that or how I, do you define it? I honestly have no idea. I have no idea. I just do what I think is funny or educational or important, or mm -hmm. I just kind of throw stuff at the wall. And if it sticks, it sticks. Yeah. I don't have any formula. I don't have any kind of, I don't have any kind of thought. I mean, I put thought and intention behind every single one, but there's no real planning behind it, which is why I say I'm not that good at it. It just happens that people like it. Okay. I like what you said, you know, about like, you have the intention, right? But it's just what you're passionate about. Right. It's, it's what you bring to the world. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very just a very real, you know, if I'm doing something and stating my opinion, that's my actual opinion. Mm -hmm. That's how I actually feel about it. It's not like a curated kind of response character. It's, it's actually me and how I feel about things, which is not always worked in my favor, but <laughs> if I'm, I feel like if I'm going to be on there, I might as well be authentic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then you talk about, um, you know, the different videos that have gone viral and whatnot, and to use, you know, one of the terms that the kids throw around these days, have you been dragged? Have you had people trying to, to call out culture on you because they don't agree with what you bring to the table? No. And I have theories about that as well. I don't to get us. it really. I don't get it. I have like the most amazing followers. I have put out content that I was worried Mm -hmm. that that was going to happen not because I thought I did anything wrong you just when you sometimes when you put sensitive things out on the internet you're going to get some pushback from it right and I really I really don't get it really that's awesome that's amazing that's absolutely amazing yeah so I'm, I'm happy that that you know because girl there's things on TikTok that I see people say I had a personal a TikTok account and um my dad died a year ago in November and I wanted to do I don't know why I decided like let me create a TikTok with his pictures and like because he was homeless so I wanted people to see who he was and not just another homeless person sitting on the street like I wanted them to put a face to a name and I created a TikTok about it and had you know, exploded, kind of went viral. And some of the comments I had, I was like, oof, 
like, why are you posting this? He's dead. He doesn't care. Or uh, why are you posting this? You didn't do anything to help him. It's your fault. Yeah. And I was like, dang, <laughs> they're dragging me for a memorial video <laughs> that I had posted. Yep. So yeah. it's amazing. You're a hundred percent. Like you have great followers that nobody, you know, want, like comes for you because it's like, people are just yikes. And Kayla, Kayla right now is she's laughing it off and she's letting it roll off her back. But in the immediate wake of this, she was devastated. Yeah. The way people spoke to her and treated her. And it was so painful to watch my friend have to go through that. And I can say to her, it doesn't matter. You don't know this person, you know, they don't, it, who knows what they bring to the table. They're idiots, but she's, a, she's sensitive. And that's yeah. actually what kind of uh, propagated the question and me giving that to you and asking, because it, it is so incredibly hurtful or you have people that threaten you. Mm-hmm. It hasn't personally happened to me through TikTok. But I've, I've denied people adoptions, you mm-hmm. know, and I always say you can tell a lot from a person when you tell them no and how they react to you. The yeah. hate mail. Yeah. 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 I probably get it more in real life than I get on the internet, which is odd. <laughs> I mean, I don't get very much in real life either, but yeah, I just, I don't know why I have some theories. I think it's because I speak with so much confidence. People think why would I say anything? Because she is going to come uh-huh. after But I also have like the most amazing followers that when somebody dares say anything negative, man, they light on them in a heartbeat. Like they to handle it before I even know about it. Sometimes it's pretty funny. One of the videos you have pinned on your TikTok is a, a sweet young girl. She's in a, she's a dog to be specific. She's in a muzzle. <laughs> mm-hmm. What, what's her story? Oh, I actually did get some, um, some stuff, whatever from the internet about like her negative commentary. Yeah. Um, it, but it's pretty easy to take care of because there's an explanation for everything and just say, yeah, well, I didn't explain it then. Cause it's a 30 second TikTok. but here, let me go into detail. Makes sense. Okay, great. And so it just handles really quickly. So Zena came into the vet clinic where I work. I had kind of spoken with the family before. They were just in over their head with this dog. Uh, She had some issues. They had absolutely no idea how to handle these issues. They put her in situations that she shouldn't have been in. They were like, I said, you know, even in them, all she could do is fail. And so she was in one of those situations and ended up biting somebody. And they had no idea how to handle it. They're kind of older people. They can't handle her. She's big. So they were going to euthanize her, which is a decision I supported because if there are no other options, that is a kind thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then she came into the clinic that day, absolutely terrified. And I just looked at her and I thought, I can help her. I can reach out and I can help her. And so I did. I said, what do you think about me taking her and working with her? And I'm not going to guarantee you that I won't have to euthanize her in the end. That is a thing that happens. It is a thing that I've talked about openly on TikTok as well. I didn't get hate for it when I thought I would. That behavioral euthanasia is a thing sometimes. And it, mm-hmm. it's it, reality. Yeah, and it is a kindness. So I, I went into it with them with the understanding, I'm going to try my best. And if it works, it'll be amazing. And if it doesn't, I will take care of it. 
and you don't have to have any guilt in this. And they said, yes. And so I brought her home and she was wearing that muzzle with a bite history. Uh, she was wearing that muzzle and I didn't have a kennel at work. I wasn't prepared. So I just put her in my car wearing that muzzle and made a video in my driveway. Like, look what my stupid impulsive self did this time. I've got this dog in this muzzle with a bite history and she's terrified. So here we go, come along. And that was just that. Okay, so what, where's she at now? What's happening? I still have her. She's doing absolutely amazing. We've wow. worked a lot on, she's something, she's not aggressive. She's something called reactive and mm -hmm. she's fear reactive. So she's scared. And you put her in situations where she's scared and she doesn't know what to do. The only thing she knows to do is be scary back. You know, that's mm -hmm. the only thing she knew to do. So it's just a matter of, uh, Dr. Amy Cook says, if you change the emotions, you can change the behavior. So it is just a matter of changing her emotions. When she sees that things are not scary, then she doesn't react in a scared way. And she has positive experiences and realizes that the world is a whole lot nicer than she thought it was. And she doesn't need to be scared and react that way. So she's doing great. We've gone through lots of training programs with her. She's now like able to be out in public, non-reactive, go to adoption events. She's doing amazing. Wow. And how long have you had her? Um, probably coming up on a year, maybe okay. a little longer. I have a hard time keeping track. <laughs> no, I know. Cause all the dogs overlap too. And mm -hmm. yeah. I okay. don't know. You can go to my TikTok account and tell me when I posted that video. Okay. <laughs> Right. And is the idea that she'll stay with you long-term or? No, she's going to be like, she's fully adoptable now. A lot of times the behavior fosters, they're going to be here longer than a fully, you know, an easily adoptable kid that goes in and out really quickly. So she, I, I think for the right family, she's fully adoptable now. So mm -hmm. she's just waiting for her family to come along. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Okay. So in closing, um, can you, again, give us your social media handle and how people can follow you? Yeah. Uh, so everything is Meatloaf and Friends. Uh, <laughs> it's just Meatloaf and Friends on Instagram, Meatloaf and Friends 1 on TikTok. Meatloaf and Friends without the one was taken. And I want to find that kid and tell him. To yeah. Him <laughs> I love, love that. That's right. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Um, and then the lastly, tell us what you think is most important about rescue. It's like the end all be all thing that you want to teach people about rescue and, and being a guardian to companion animals. Oh, that's such a big question. Narrow it down. To I know. It can be multifaceted, the answer. Well, I was going to say, I think the overarching uh, thing should just be kindness and understanding, mm -hmm. kindness and understanding for the people that end up with their dogs in rescue, kindness and understanding for other people in rescue, kindness and understanding for the dogs and what they've been through and where they need to go and how they need to get there. And if there's more kindness and understanding on all facets of it, I think it would be a lot easier to go through where they need to go and how they get there. And the driver for that is kindness. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think what you're doing is remarkable. I think you have all the odds stacked against you. 
Texas is such a big state and there are so many rescues nationally that pull from Texas because of the overpopulation problem that you have, you know, just even out of Houston. Mm. Um, I know that the euthanasia rates in just one particular facility down there are in the, you know, 12 to 1600 range every single month and what that looks like. Even if you look at it, like, where do the bodies go? How do you incinerate that many animals that are being euthanized? And all too often, they're just shoved in trash bags and they're, um, they're taken to a landfill. That's Mm -hmm. our reality as a society. And so I think that something needs to be done about it. So spay and neuter your animals, adopt, don't shop, or as you, you know, noted, you know, if you shop, do it responsibly, you know, go to a responsible breeder that understands bloodlines and, you know, genetic defects that can be carried over and genetic trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would say you just keep, keep up on that fight. You're doing amazing work and you are a beacon within the rescue community. You're wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I certainly do try. <laughs> yeah. Well, your efforts are duly noted and very appreciated. And, you know, we've said this to a couple of guests now, but because of, you know, your ongoing efforts and how you're progressing as a human, maybe we can make a date and we can say a year from now, we can check in again. And we can just see where you're at with the process and you can enlighten us a little bit more. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll be much further ahead. I think we're moving at a faster pace than what it seems like, honestly. I hope you're right. And I hope that we have more legislation that is pushed through on a national slash federal level. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to have... um, you talked about these spay and neuter vouchers, you know, but I think there needs to be some kind of a tax credit or an incentive for people to spay and neuter their animals. And I also think there needs to be a moratorium put on breeding, even if it's just 10 years, you know, no breeding can take place. Genetics are frozen or put on ice and then just give these rescuers a chance to catch up. If we were given even five years, we can make a difference. Right? Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. Okay. Well, we really appreciate your time. We're going to mark it on our calendars to follow up with you in a year. And um, yeah, just keep, keep on keeping on. Yeah. You as well. Stay in the game. It's tough. It is. All right. Keep your head up. All right. Yes, ma'am. You too. Thank you. All right. Thank you.